You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. What follows is a conversation between myself and Ron Winter from the outfit The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. The reason for the conversation is to promote the band's upcoming tour of Australia. I'll read out some dates. Wednesday the 28th of November, they're playing in Auckland. Sorry, so that's New Zealand. It's obviously not Australia, but I'll throw that date in there because it is the lone New Zealand date. The next ones are all in Australia. Here we go. Thursday the 29th, they're playing in Brisbane. Friday the 30th of November, they're playing in Melbourne. We're on to December the 1st, they're playing in Newcastle. And they're playing Sydney on the 2nd of December. So let's have a listen to what Ron has to say. Here we go. Hey, mate, that sounds a lot better. All right. All right, we're rocking and rolling. Yeah, no drama. So you're obviously, you're obviously very busy, mate. There's obviously a lot going on for you. Yeah, you know, me and my wife, uh, I, I co-produced this album with my wife, Angela. She's a producer as well, Okay. Um, which is how we met. We met. I was writing for another artist, and she was working on that album. And um, in the middle of all of this, she scored a film, and we had a baby. So we had mm. to push the production back twice. You know, that's why it took, one of the reasons why it took four years, but... Also because it was my first stab at a concept record and I've never done that before. Mm. And it was a lot harder actually than I thought. I wasn't able to do my usual uh, kind of, uh, you know, I'm just really comfortable with jumpsuit. I've been doing it a long time. So yeah, that was different. Yeah, I, I, I certainly wouldn't call you guys survivors, but you have outlasted a lot of your contemporaries. I think it needs to be said both in terms of, <laughs> just in terms of quality and also endurance. Sure. You know, I mean, it's... It, you just gave me an idea. Maybe... You should come out to that song. Uh, I'm a survivor from now on. <laughs> well, I've got I've got a, two daughters, right? Five and uh, three. And between that bloody song and the other Beyonce or Destiny's Child song, what's the other one called? Say my name. I just drove over to my mother-in-law's house where I'm where I'm conducting this interview now, and we had those two songs on a loop for about half an hour. So believe me, if Beyonce never makes another no, note of music ever again, mate, I'd be relieved. <laughs> Well, you know exactly how I feel, but for us, it's all Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, twenty-four-seven. Oh gosh, how old's your little one? He just turned two. Turned two. Yeah, it was. Uh, you probably—I don't know whether you get in the night garden there in the states. I'm sure it is there. But we went through a phase where my youngest, my eldest daughter, so she's five, but when she was up to about eighteen months old, she really loved in the night garden, and then she started jumping up to. Uh, she actually worked out how to start using YouTube, and. You, you can't oh, even imagine the possibility of different child-based content there is out there. But the big one that she gets right into is those unpacking things. So like people who unpack Kinder Surprise and and LOL dolls and all that sort of stuff. You've got all of that to look forward to, mate. All of it's coming up for you. <laughs> oh, man. I have no idea what that is, but I can tell by the fear in your voice that it's going to be a long one. I've got to tell you, I'll share this with you. It's actually a battle with these young ones because they are digital centric so they're born into an environment which we weren't okay so we were born into an analog environment effectively you know what i mean with televisions and vcrs and all that sort of stuff but they're growing up with screens no matter where you go to whether it's the dentist the doctor on the trains even on the buses these days uh, i think even in taxis in the states they've got bloody screens so there's they're constantly bombarded with digital content mate and my eldest daughter in particular, Azra, she's very creative, and I'm just trying to nurture that by getting her away from these bloody screens, mate. But you give in occasionally to stop the tantrums. Yeah. You know what? I understand that, and that's so it's really bizarre that we're talking about this right now. Um, but, hey, 
it happens when it happens. But, hmm. you know, we've been trying to formulate some kind of a plan how to keep a balance between real and digital. And I think we're doing an okay job so far. But, you know, like you said, you can't even get away from it. You go to the dentist, the doctor, they have it everywhere now. So it hmm. is going to be kind of tough for for all of us parents out there. It, it, is, it is pervasive. So I'll, I'll ask you this question with regards to the band. How have you guys, because you guys came out, you guys started and you built a fan base up before social media became a thing. It was around the time that MySpace was really burgeoning. I understand that, but that's very different to the shit that's out there these days. So how have you coped with that transition? Because as far as I can see, you've coped very well with it. You've managed to grow your audience through social media, but you've also been able to stand out from the crowd. So how, how in if you were to just – so I'll ask you the question, how have you been able to do it? Well, that is a good question, actually. And I think part of the reason we've been able to do it is because we've been outside of the label system for so long. So, um, you know, I have a little perspective. I was, you know, at one time, arguably, you know, Face Down was one of the biggest songs on the planet. So I, I know what it feels like to be massively huge. And then for a while there, a lot of people didn't even know that we were still a band. And we just took some time off and really hit the underground hard in the U.S., and just stayed um, independent and, and kind of stayed. We went like four years without even doing a press release on purpose. And people used to ask us why, like, oh, um, you know, what's going on? Like, I see you put a record out, but you didn't even tell anybody you put a record out. We kind of did that on purpose because we got so big so fast, there wasn't anywhere else to go. So I've always said that we're a career band, and it's really nice to, you know, put this album out and have such a great response so far completely yeah. on our own. And, you know, I, I produced the band mainly, but my wife co-produced this time and I engineered on the record and my brother, Rand, he also engineered on the record. Mm -hmm. So I managed the band and I own the company and I run all of that. And then my brother, Randy, he runs all the social media. So I split it down the middle because I knew that one person couldn't do it all. You have to have a little bit of separation between the business side and the social media creative side. So Randy, my brother, he's kind of been the genius behind all that. And really what we do is we just try to be completely normal. And yep. labels can't really pull that off. They got too much money to look normal. And and we don't have that money. So, you know, we find ourselves posting and liking the same way that other people do and actually using the app functionality the way it was meant to for a human as opposed to for a corporation. And I think that, you know, and that was all his plan and his idea it's brought like a really cool family aspect to the way that we uh, um, communicate with our fans through our social media outlets. We're, we're a little bit different about it. People learn more about the band. Um, they, they see the kind of things, goofy stuff too. We don't always just post about the band. And then also, you know, uh, certain awarenesses that we want to raise, we use it for all that. But I really think it's because I compartmentalized it right off the beginning. And I let Randy, I just turned all the reins over to him. And I was like, you know what? I don't understand any of this stuff. I like sitting by a guitar or by a fire playing guitar. So yeah. I'll stick to that and you stick to that and somehow it's worked out. Yeah. No, and congratulations on being able to work it out for so long because it looks like you, you, you're, you're enjoying, uh, well, I mean, let's face it, you're still young. You could keep on doing this for as long as you bloody well keep on. You, you decide that you want to do it for really, isn't it? <laughs> so is that your intention? You just want to keep this band going for the foreseeable future? Have you got any other irons in the fire? Yes, thank you for saying that. Sometimes people are surprised when I say that, hmm. and they almost think it's arrogant, but it's not. If I'm alive and I want to make another record, I can. Nobody owns me. And um, 
that's really great, man. I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. We were cool. fortunate. Um, when, when we got out of our deal, we weren't dropped. Virgin could not honor their end of the contract. So we had a clause that says, you know, if you can't, we honored what our end. So if you can't honor your end, we get out and we kept the name. We kept all, you know, we, we got to keep everything because we did our end of the deal. And, um, not a lot of bands that, you know, a lot of times when they get dropped their shelves, they can't use the name anymore or they have to wait a long time before they can put records out. Mm. That was not our story. So, you know, um, I do plan on keeping it going. Why not? Because, uh, I just, I don't know. It's one of those things where like you can tell somebody this and it sounds kind of a uh, dreamy or goofy, but I really do believe that I was meant that I was born to make music. It's always been the only thing that I've ever been interested in. Yeah. And it's also been the only thing that I'm even, I'm even half good at. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of really great people out there who are better than we are. We're aware of that. We hear bands all the time that we think are better than us, but not when it comes to songwriting. I feel like my strong suit and our band's strong suit is the content of the lyrics. That's really where I think that we yeah, agree the most. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, so as long as I focus on that, I do think I can keep going as long as I want, as long as I'm not dead. Mm-hmm. Well, your music will live, live uh, life long after you depart this mortal coil, if you don't mind me saying. And, and one of the reasons I'll put to, to, to that is the success of this new single, On Becoming Willing. So John sent me an email which states that it's hit 10 weeks at number one in the US Billboard Christian Rock Charts. So I would typically ask an artist, does that sort of success surprise you? But I don't think it does surprise you, do, do you? Because I think you understand your fan base and you understand that if it's meaningful, high-quality content in the lyrics, it's going to resonate with an audience. Exactly. I mean, I hate to say that it's part of the plan, but it was 100% part of the mm. plan. And, you know, we're very careful when we choose the singles. There's other songs on this album that might per se be perceived more catchy or more radio friendly. But this was the one that lyrically we really wanted to drive home because of all the issues we've already covered throughout the history of our career. We've talked a lot about awareness, about domestic violence, which causes depression in kids when their Mm. parents are doing that in front of them, which is something that my brother and I witnessed, which is what Face Down is about. That's about our mom. Mm -hmm. And we were little kids when that was happening in front of us. That carries a psychological effect for decades later. You know, so that's where we started. Then we went into, you know, mental awareness issues with the youth. When our second album came out, Lonely Road, and ever since then, um, we've just been sticking to our guns when it comes to, in this band, not in every band, the message is the most important thing. And because of those reasons, I feel like this single is doing well. If we would have chose one of the more catchy, uh, popular songs, um, I don't think it would be up there. It, it may have done well, but I don't think it would be number one for this long. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And it, look, it's something that is often overlooked because, look, I've been a lifelong fan of rock music and heavy metal. And I've got to tell you, mate, I've learned long ago not to tune into the lyrics because a lot of them are just... They're just put there for rhyme factor. They're not actually put there to be meaningful, but you haven't done that. You're spending a hell of a lot of time, if you don't mind me using that, framing it this way, but you spend a bloody long time making sure that the lyrics connect with people. So do you get... I know Jonathan Davis talks about this a little bit, and he finds it very... Jonathan Davis from Corn, of course, finds it very overwhelming. Well, that's my perception of it, what he was saying, that he gets fans telling him that it words the effect that his lyrics have saved their lives and have stopped them from going down dark paths. But he also recognises that it's a hell of a responsibility to have when you're effectively a mentor from afar in that respect. So he has to focus 
a lot on making sure that there are high quality lyrics and they're very meaningful for people out there. But do you feel that pressure as well? Definitely. Um, and I think it's cool that he was that honest about it. And I think that, again, that just speaks about him being a songwriter that has been around for so long, because I think he might agree with me. Maybe. I mean, I have to assume that when I say in the beginning, I didn't care as much. I was 22 years old. Hmm. All I cared about was drinking and partying and having a good time. And I still, I still was very careful with my lyrics and I wanted to put a positive message out, but I was a 22 year old kid. I mean, come on, like how responsible can you really be at 22? Hmm. Definitely not me and my friends. We were, we were just living life. We were in a rock band. It was doing well. People liked Face Down. They liked Guardian Angel. They liked False Pretense. And, you know, we, we did the party thing. And in the early years of Korn, I recall it being very similar. You know, they blew up fast. They had a couple big songs, and, and, and they got into the party scene. And, and I am familiar with a little bit with Korn's story. And if I'm not mistaken, half the band is sober and spiritual now, just like our band. And he is now openly saying how he feels, you know, responsible with his lyrics. And, and so do I. And I think that's just with any band that has more than one record that's been around longer than 10 years, you learn that, hey, man, this stuff is powerful. You're not just up here saying stuff um, that means nothing to nobody because you meet these kids after the show and they come up to you and they tell you that and they look you in the eye. Hmm. And after that happens to you enough times, you know, God knows it happened to me a lot and still does to this day with Face Down. Um, it, it changes you. It makes you pay attention. Hmm. Yeah, great response, mate. And I'll shift topic and we'll talk about this Australian tour that you've got coming up. So you're obviously aware that there's a demand for you to play down here, as of course there is for your music to be to be played. But uh, tell us about the show that you're bringing down here. Will, will it focus on the most recent album or is it more, more a show that honours uh, the rest of the catalogue? Yeah, we, you know, we literally just did a 10-year anniversary Don't and Fake It tour in Australia and it was killer. Every mm. show was packed. Um, almost all of them were sold out. One or two of them we had to play twi- two nights in a row, which is something we almost never do. A lot of bigger, more famous bands do, but that, that was new to us. And a very happy um, a happy thing. But, we, you know, it was different for us. We weren't used to playing the same place twice in a row. And um, so coming off of that, you know, you got to think like, okay, there's no way you're going to talk that. Just be honest with yourself. You already gave them what they wanted to see. So we only picked countries specifically that are having an organic reaction that we can track online. And we have this analytics now and I don't have to call a manager and ask for it. Cause I manage the band. I don't have to call a label and, right. and ask yeah. for, you know, ac- access to the logins for this app and that app, because I have all of that. So essentially I'm able to look at all of the hard data. These are actual kids streaming. This isn't, you know, bot play devices that make, um, you know, an artist look bigger than they really are. This is no bogus yes, YouTube streams. Yeah. This is all real hard data that I'm harvesting. And then when I get that, I take it and I present it to the agent and we say, okay, here's where we're getting played. Here's the real stats. And one of those places was Indonesia, which we just went to two yeah. weeks ago and we co-headlined Lent Biscuit and we crushed it. It was an amazing show. I, I It was just stellar. And then that was one of the places and one of the other places where every single song on this record consistently, mm. the third highest is Australia. So because of that, we figured, hey, we're going we're gonna to go over there 
we're going to call it the Awakening Tour, but everybody knows, because in the history of this band, we've never played an album from the beginning to the end until the 10-year anniversary tour. Yep. We'd never done that before. That was a new thing for us. And it was kind of weird. We were all talking about it. Like, because, you know, we're sitting up there, you know, we had three hits with Virgin, but we've had seven number ones after leaving Virgin. So only three of those songs are on Don't You Fake It. So we were used to being able to pull out some of these other big songs on our set list, but we were happy and surprised that that just happens to be one of those albums where everybody liked every single song. So basically what we're bringing in, I know that's a really long explanation, but it's a complicated it's a question. Yeah. So, it's a great, you know, great response. so basically what we're doing now is we are going to the countries that we can see online are streaming the new music. Then we're playing the four most popular songs that we can all sing, see online. We're just using the data and giving them what they want. And after that, we're blasting them with all the hits, all 10 of them right down the line. Hmm. Mate, I'll leave it there. You're a smart filler, actually. You're one of the smartest guys I've spoken to because you really know how to articulate your thoughts and you've got a handle on the business side of things. And uh, with the greatest of respect, I've done, I've done well over, I think I'm up to almost 350 interviews at this point, but it's rare to hear somebody who's got a real handle on the business side of things and understands where their fans are. You're not reliant on all of these external factors. Your locus of control is internal. You, you've You've got all of the analytics. You've got all of the data there. So you're uh, you're you're going to be around for a long time because yes, you're writing great music, but also very importantly, you've really got a handle on the business side of things. So congratulations for that. Thank you. And I learned by making a lot of mistakes first. Like all the great, <laughs> you know. Don't we? I was all, not yeah. always good at this, but you know, I crawled and then I walked, and now I'm running, and it feels good. Hmm. All right, mate. Well, congratulations again. Thank you so much for the conversation and uh, all the best on your career and also the tour down here very soon. Thank you. And congratulations on being a dad. And uh, <laughs> I, do, I, I know my wife did say something about watching somebody open a box online. And I thought she was joking. Check but it out. But now hearing you saying it, I guess this is really a thing. People just watch people open boxes. It's It's incredible. And it's not just kids either, mate. It's adults watching things like... Um, like drones being unboxed and things like that. Like it, the other big one is shoes. Check it out. People watch people unboxing pairs of shoes because these days Nike and Reebok and Puma and all the other brands they put all of these extra goodies in the box in in the shoe box, like stickers and tags and all sorts of other things. But yeah, so it's it's a real rabbit warren to go down, and some of it's quite. I feel like as though people have got too much time on their hands, and you and I, I'll speak for you here too. We don't have a lot of time on our hands. We're very busy, so we're not going to go and post a video of us unboxing, nope. unboxing our shopping or bloody Nikes, our Nikes out of a shoebox, you know. So I don't know where they get all their time from, but oh well, it's 2018, peak 2018, it's how it is. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, I thought it was a joke. Now I'm convinced it's real, and <laughs> I think I'm going to have to check it out. So thanks for the heads up. No worries, brother. All right, well, very nice talking to you. Congratulations again, and thanks so much. You too, and thank you for being patient. I'm sorry it took me a minute, but uh, thank you, and uh, have a great day. I appreciate no, it. No dramas at all, mate. No worries. Okay, thanks very much. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was a conversation between myself and Ron Winter from the outfit The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Thank you so much for listening.